Hello, everybody, and welcome to Winecast. What is Winecast, you might ask? Well, it's a podcast about wine. And who better to join me for the first episode of Winecast than uh, I call him the mayor of Montalto, runs, uh, helps run one of the biggest and most successful wineries on the Mornington Peninsula, Mark Coffer. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's approaching a pretty crazy time of year. Uh, well, I mean, uh, all year is pretty crazy in your um, in your realm, which is hospitality, but um, just getting even more nuts now, isn't it? Yeah, as soon as the sun comes out, that's it. People go bananas, hey? I mean, it's, uh, you know, we've had a few summers where they've been non-existent. So, uh, yeah, actually coming into one where we have no kind of lockdowns, uh, no fires. Touch wood. Yeah. Uh, no, it's going to be good. Time for celebration. Because how long have you been in Australia now? Uh, coming up to 10 years now. 10 years yeah. in March. Yeah. Were you always in the hospitality realm when you moved over? Yeah, I used to run some venues, lots of different places in London. Where there was bars, clubs, pubs, so on. Yeah. Um, before we get into that, we're just going to fill the audience in. What we're going to do today is we've got a f- collection of wines here. We're going to, me and Mark are going to sit here and drink a wine. And if you want to crack a wine with us, feel free. <laughs> We're going to talk a bit of shit about wine. I'm going to ask Mark some really obnoxious questions about wine. Mm -hmm. We'll chat about his journey from the UK over to Australia, cultural differences between the two countries, your love of hospitality, and that'll be it. Talk a bit of shit about UK music. Mm -hmm. Lovely. Well, how well do you think you know the Montalto wines, Mark? Uh, I would... I'm I'm 70% confident. Yeah. Do do you have a bit of a a taste for it? Like, I'm one that... pretend to know what I'm talking about, but I don't yeah. whatsoever. Like I can't taste notes or anything like that. And that's the same with coffee or beer or whiskey. Like I, yeah. it all tastes the same to me. Do you taste yeah, any? You have like, too much of it. That's it. I don't, <laughs> it's too, I smash it too much. Yeah. Do you taste any notes or? Yeah, I reckon, um, you know, done a fair few courses in, in wine and, you know, used to run a wine bar in London as well. So yep. it's, uh, we, we have a, a lovely little thing at work, which is called Wine Dollars. So everyone earns Wine Dollars to then, you know, be able to, to, to then purchase what, their own wine. Purchase their own wine. And that's yeah. like Montalto wines or? Yeah. Now yep. wines, gin, so on like that. So yep. I call it educational. <laughs> how does one how earn, how does one earn Wine Dollars? Got to work there. Got to work there? Got to work there. So I can't earn some Wine Dollars by, uh. You know, doing some deeds? Oh, depends what deeds. Yeah. Oh, mate. I'm desperate for wine dollars at this time of year. Mm. So if you could just close your eyes for me, and I'm going to pour right. us a glass of the first one. So right. this is a bit of a yeah, pretend you're blindfolded. Yeah. And we're going to see how well you know the Montalto wines. We're going to have a sip of this one, and you can uh, tell me what you're tasting and have a guess of what Montalto wine we're, uh, we're knocking back. Now we've got we got a brand new uh, Persian rug on the set of the podcast, <laughs> so we've got to be really, really careful not to uh, not to make a mess on that. Or Lockie might have an aneurysm, so yeah. you can open your eyes now. So now it's a bit of a spoiler; it's a darker wine, obviously, yeah. but um, you don't know which one. Yeah. So like, what what do we? Because we people swirl their wine around. Like, what's all that about? Is there something to that, or is that people being wanky or? Uh, it looks wanky. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely does. But it's um, to aerate it, you get more of the 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 smells, the perfumes coming out of the wine from doing that. Aerate it. So again, just me asking obnoxious questions. What does that mean? Uh, the air goes through the wine, and, okay. and it helps lift everything up. Um, cool. I did a, a course with it was a specific glass company, and I thought it was super wanky because there's like different shaped glasses for different wines. And I actually thought how like this is so it's just a gimmick. But we went to it and they had six different glasses and one of them was like a little plastic sippy cup and they actually showed you and you know the science behind it and it's different uh, smells and so on have different densities in the air and so it will be better and it will smell better in certain glasses it, because of the shape of that's it. That's crazy because I've, I've always thought that like if you're at a if you're at an event like a festival or a race yeah. day and they're serving drinks in a plastic cup compared to like when you get a drink like in a pub, like in a nice glass, like it just tastes that much better. Is there a taste element to it too or it's just like the smell? You get the smell and some of it's like a taste element. So they yep. would put in, say, Cabernet in a Pinot glass and you get mint out of it. It was really odd. It was crazy. Uh, incidentally enough, Sippy Cup came third overall for best overall yep. for, you know, putting everything in it. Okay. So that was quite interesting. Bizarre. Mm. All right, yeah, let's knock this one back. Yeah. I know what it is already. Go on. 
Monty Pino. That is the Montalto Pino. Mm. Do you know what year? Would you be able to tell the difference between the years? Oh, it really depends. Like, I can tell between the, the really heavy years and the really light years, like the real yeah. sunny ones and the really cold ones. Do you want to explain to the audience what that exactly means? Because you gave me a good education the, um, yeah. the other night, and I found this fascinating. Um, yeah, basically how, how I train my staff and so on is I say, like, um, the difference between different years, the main point of it is the climate um, in terms of how it changes the, the flavours, the aromas, the textures, uh, and, you know, how warm it is, how cold it is, and you know, um, essentially what that does for everything. And the way that I explain it to people is, you know, you think you've got, say, a, uh, a piece of lamb and you can either put it in a slow cooker or you can put it on a barbecue. And, you know, it starts off as the exact same piece of meat, but vastly different flavours, vastly different textures by just essentially cooking it different. And it's the same thing with grapes. The warmer it is, the quicker they ripen, the more sugar, the more alcohol. Uh, and the colder the climate, the more sort of delicate... Um, more elegant style yeah. of a wine that you'll end up with. So, like, if you're in a country that's close to the equator, like, they're going to be producing really, would you call it, bold flavoured wines? Yeah, bolder <laughs> style wines, you know. Yeah. Um, there's different bits of, I think it's um, uh, 42 on the equator, where, you know, it goes through loads of different parts of France, parts of Italy, part of, you know, Argentina, Chile, California, so on like that. So, it's um, definitely some big, bolder older styles coming out of those countries and so i guess in an australian perspective in years where we've had you know such as this year and the years proceed far preceding where we've had la nina mm. and it's been a bit cooler mm. the wines that you've produced have they been a bit more would you say delicate yeah overall i mean 2013 across the peninsula was a crazy warm year like super 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 hot so all the wines are incredibly rich bold um even in, you know, their structures and how long they, um, you know, even that flavour, like if you were to drink the 2013 in 2013, it'd be super intense. Yeah. So, um, you know, if it's rested a few years, it starts softening a bit and the acids and the flavours start developing. Yeah, different that was going to be an extra. What does ageing do for a wine? Like the, the, the phrase, is it's aged like a fine wine. Like Yeah, dusty and locked like, in your cellar. Yeah, like yeah. Does, <laughs> what does that do to the taste, like locking it away? Um, for different wines, different things. So for, say, like uh, a Chardonnay, like it will soften some of the acids and it will start coming out like a bit more buttery and creamy sort of over the years. Uh, like a Pinot, what happens is this is like really fruity. Mm. So what will happen is the fruit will start dropping off and more sort of savoury characteristics will start coming out. Okay. Um, so it really depends. And it depends what you like. Like some people really like a really like, uh, light-style fruity Pinot. So drink a young Pinot. There's no issue with that. Everyone likes different things for a reason. Yeah. You know, if we didn't, we'd all so be eating porridge and drinking more. That'd yeah, that's, that's so true. So, like, life. so an aged wine isn't always a better wine. It's just no. it's just personal preference. No, a lot of people, you know, why it's more expensive is because you've had to house it as well. You've had to store that makes it for sense, longer. Yeah. You know, I suppose there'd, just be, there'd be less of it, yeah. Mm. yeah. So that's why it's more expensive, uh, but it doesn't always mean it's better. And it's actually incidentally good at looking at what that year was because sometimes, you know, you might have a terrible year that was, it was just miserable all round and produced some poor wines and uh, you might end up paying through the nose just because it's old rather than yep. it's actually good. Yeah, and I think that's where people get confused and that for a lot of things, not just wine, but cheers to you, um, but anything like they see the price tag and they automatically think, mm. you know, it's, it's a mint, it's a premium service or product, but yeah. It doesn't always mean that, eh? No, definitely. And I always say to people it's all about value for money. And that could be anything from, you know, if it's someone's anniversary, people don't care about paying for top-notch champagne and this and that and so on. You know, they know it's the experience of that. But if you're you're out with, you know, some of the boys after footy mm. and you just want a, a happy hour or whatever, and like even if you want like a $5 happy hour wine, you're happy sipping that. Yep. All right. And that's value for money. Like it doesn't wrong have to always be something that's expensive. Yeah, I think a lot of people think it's just a big dick swinging contest. Like, yeah. you know, how much can I lash out on a wine or a whiskey or a whatever? Yeah. Like, well, some of it's prestige as well. You know, there's a lot of people who do have money, and part yeah. of it is these things are rare. Like owning a Rolex. Like, yeah, yeah. But it's also something that it's it's a um, consumable. So it's gone. It's gone. 
Mm. So it's not like, you know, they can keep producing these things. Like once it's gone, you know, it's absolutely gone. It's one of those things like, is there ever a perfect moment to pull out that really expensive bottle of wine? That's it. I mean, I say to people who just keep hoarding and hoarding and then, you know, everyone's going to die eventually. Like there's got to be a time where you have to pick it out. Mm. And it might be when, you know, probably not when you've just come back you know absolutely sloshed off yeah. my house. probably not the greatest time to do it that's exactly right like in uni one of my best mates that I lived with had this carton of like just five like apparently really nice cigars again I wouldn't fucking know but like we always said we're going to save them for like you know one of <laughs> one of our last days at uni before we all move away and like the amount of times we got home fucked just from a random night end and dipped into the cigar stash like it's ridiculous and such a waste but again like it doesn't matter hey no um, and hey, what I learned is you can't age a wine once you've cracked it open. <laughs> no, that was a bad one. <laughs> no. Nah. So at the uh, at the Virtus Men's Night a few months back, we um, there'd been a cracked open bottle of what we're drinking. This is a fresh one, but it was a cracked mm. open bottle of the Montalto Pinot that had been sitting there for about six months. Yeah, vastly different. And I'd uh, dipped into it and... I knew something was off. I don't know my wines that well, but I knew something was off, but just kept drinking it anyway because I didn't really know better. Well, quite incidentally, the wine was off. And it was That's off. Exactly what was wine it? can go off. Yeah. But yeah, my times at uni, we've had cracked open wines that have been there for months and months. We've uh, dipped into it. So you're not going to get sick. You just, yeah. it just tastes a bit weird, hey? Yeah, it goes like vinegary. Funky. Yeah. You're fine with goon, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mate, that's. Uh, That'll uh, survive a holocaust. Uh, not a holocaust, <laughs> Jesus. That'll survive a um, nuclear bomb. Jeez, yeah. oh, moving on. Yeah. Moving on, Mark. Hey, um, why, <laughs> why did you get started in the hospitality industry as we finish off this Montalto Red? Uh, I used to do it at uni. Like, uh, I did, did business admin at uni when I was, you know, a bit younger. And, uh, yeah, started working at the um, students' union then. Vastly different size uh, venues over <laughs> I've there. I've lost it. Keep going, You've lost it? Yep. Um, yeah, vastly different size venues there. Like that whole just shy to three thousand people for a student union, which is pretty full on, mm. pretty nuts, but good fun. Like, is it something? What were you studying at uni, by the way? Business admin. Yeah, so it's something that you grew up wanting to do, or just once you were at uni, you no. sort of grew up, grew yeah, up for it. Grew into it. I mean, if if you've known from some of my sessions that I'm half complete and don't <laughs> don't mind a chat. <laughs> yeah, we we get through some. Yeah, seventy five percent. Yeah, Mr. Jeff loves Jeffrey Deck. Yeah. Wow, we're going to get him on. Oh yeah, me, definitely. you, and him we'll sit back. Yeah, two hour sesh. Love that. Yeah. Um, so you were studying in the UK. Whereabouts in the UK were you located? Uh, a place called Portsmouth. Yeah. So south South Coast. Yeah. And what was life like growing up in the UK? Like family life, early life. What did you want to do when you were a youngster? Oh. Like a proper youngster. Proper youngster. I think everyone wanted to be like a fireman or astronaut. Yeah. Football player. Oh yeah, definitely football player, musician. Nice, well, nice. At the same time, very difficult job. Whereabouts did you grow up? Like same place you went to uni? No, no. Um, in, in the UK, it's quite tradition for people to move vastly out from okay. from where they live to go yep. to uni. So you don't tend to live with your parents at uni. You go sort of go find yourself a bit. You know, get a bit of growing up going on. What did that look like? The finding yourself process. A lot of alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Stock standard. So the cultures aren't too different in that regard then. Oh, yeah. Just a lot cheaper. Yep. You know, 50 pence shots, $1 shots. Oh, man. Yeah. So a bit different. Oh, yeah. Um, a bit. Yeah. A little bit different. No RSA. That's a vastly different thing. Tell us about that. What do you mean no RSA? No RSA. If you can like literally... Like anyone can pour a drink for anyone? Well, literally, if you were carried to the bar, passed out with your mates, you'd still get served a Jager bomb. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Makes for some interesting times. And I initially and, and was you, like, when I came out here, I was like, what do you mean? Like, you know, because people are getting cut off after like, you know, six beers and so on. And so like there, can you refer, refuse people at all? I mean, you can, but no one does. Yeah. You know, you know people, people good, don't... It's business, um, eh? I, I can tell when I serve a bunch of um, UK people out here because they don't drink water when they're drinking. It's just yeah. not done. It's not part of the culture. You know, they say it's almost like a weak thing to do. Um, where, you know, a little bit smarter out here with the sun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you got to be. You don't get the sun much there. How do you no. find that? Like, moving from the UK to Australia, where the sun uh, does a substantial... Especially amount. with this thing. <laughs> yeah, especially with the uh, with the dome. If yeah. you're listening on Spotify, Mark's got a bald head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you find that uh, uh, adjustment to the climate? Weirdly enough, not too bad. You know, yeah. I do like the, the warm weather and... Uh, 
I found myself burning my head more in the UK than I did out here. Because yep. here, I just know it's going to be hot. I just chuck on and sunscreen. And you just prepare for it, yeah. Yeah, whereas in the UK, you just go out and then, you know, slowly turn to a crisp during the day. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit different. Uh, close your eyes for me. We're going to crack open the uh, the next one. We are... And it's a spoiler, it's a, it's a white, and we're mm. drinking it out of a glass we've just had red in, so I hope yep. that doesn't affect the taste too much for us. A but bit of a rosé rose mix. Don't even know what that means. We'll get into that, though. <laughs> yeah, with me battling a bit. There we go. Do you know what ASMR is? No. Uh, so it's this, uh, like... Uh, Subgenre of videos on YouTube, and it's just like it just sounds like this of people doing stuff like pouring drinks and you know making sounds with their mouth really close to the mic. And mm. a lot of people, myself included, find it really, really satisfying. Oh, yeah, and can sometimes fall asleep to it. And have you got to guess what it's going on? Nah, nah, like you sort of click on the video knowing what it's going to be, and it's just yeah, right. people making these uh weird but. Soothing sounds. Soothing sounds, and yeah, you just listen to it and it calms you down. So no whales and dolphins and jungle nah, noises for you? No, nah, nothing like that. Right, yeah, we're on. All right. Cheers to you. Chin, chin. That's sweet. Mmm. Wait, that's, that's smashable, as one would say. Mm. Technically not sweet. Okay, <laughs> right. There's my uh, there's my obnoxiousness. No, it's fine. It's uh, honestly fine. It's one of the most confusing things in wine when people ask for a sweet wine. What quite often they mean is fruity. Fruit. So this is fruity. Yeah. So sweet. But is would fruity not be sweet? Technically, no, because it's the amount of sugar that's actually sugar per liter that's in this wine, and there's yep. a minimal amount of sugar. This is still classed as a dry wine because of the amount of sugar in it. But the notes that you're getting is fruity. Yeah, so you do get notes, you just don't know it. Okay, and that and that's just a thing of practice, like knowing what is fruity and what is dry and what is yeah. A lot of it you end up um, so dry. It's it's pretty much most wines, unless you're going for like Moscato or you know the um, like the the fortified or the sweet wines mm. like um, like stickies, and uh, you'll you'll see from them straight away from. Um, like how much more like viscous and essentially thick. So if you think of wine like between water and milk, like when you're drinking it, where is it on that kind of scale? And then some of them almost end up past that, almost like a watered down honey stage. Yeah, okay. Um, hey, I didn't get your guess for what this was, by the way. Savvy B. Savvy B. <laughs> Incorrect, Mark. Is that actually the shardy? It is the shardy. Ah, Jesus. On the Savvy B Very though, because like, I know, what, what does... Sauvignon, am I pronouncing that right? Sauvignon. Sauvignon, like yeah. because you can get Sauvignon Blanc, but then there's a red like Sauvignon. Uh, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. Cabernet Sauvignon. Like, so like yeah. what does Sauvignon mean? And it's the the, the grape name. It's, it's like all the different ones, you know, Chardonnay, yeah. Pinot Gris, yeah, so, Pinot Noir. So how can the same grape produce both a red and a white wine? So it's it they're technically all different grapes. Okay. Um, so you can. Incidentally enough, you can actually make a white wine out of red grapes. So, like, if you have a red grape at home and, and you press it, it the, the juice like runs clear, mm. um, and it's um, it's in, incidentally like when you're making a red wine, you actually need the skins, and then they soak the skins for a long time. Right, and that develops a lot more of the flavors. Yeah, so and it gives, gives it the red color. Yeah, so yep. that's how they do rosé, but they leave it in two hours to. A day, up to a day. That's it. And but rose is like a sparkling. No, uh, just um, you can have a still rose, sparkling rose. But okay. uh, rose, you can make out of red or white, but they use red skins to actually color it and give it a little bit more depth. And that's what it is. Right. And then so, whereas with a white wine, they discard the skins like immediately if it was a red grape. Not always, uh, yep. there's something also called like an orange wine, which they they keep the grape skins on and then turns it a little bit of a tinge of orange mm. and that makes it that way and. Uh, but majority of the time they press the grapes or crush the grapes and uh, that that ends up with a um, uh, your white wine and then with reds they press it all and then keep the skins in there but um, how they can make different ones uh, so like for instance in America they're big on a white and called uh, uh, white Zinfandel 
So Zinfandel you can have as a red wine, a white wine, a rosé. Like it's, it's huge in California. Uh, but they use the red grapes to actually make the white wine. And it makes it like a slightly heavier white wine yeah. um, in terms of its body and so on like that. But um, yeah, it's they, they do lots of crazy that, stuff now to mess around with it all. That's really fascinating because I've always just thought red wine, they're made with like, you know, purple or red grapes. White wines mm. are like made with green grapes and, and that and that's it. But there you go. So you can make white with red and you couldn't make like a red with a green grape though. Doesn't go the other way. Te- I mean, technically you could if you had red skins. Um, you yep. could technically, but it's called a different wine anyway. But, yeah. Um, yeah, incidentally, it's, it's got to be a red wine or a white wine to be classified as red or white. So, I mean, you think about um, all different varieties of apples. They start off as different apples. Like, mm. I mean, they're all different varieties, but it's essentially an apple. But they all have vastly different flavours and sweet and sours and, you know, every every different profile. What's your favourite type of apple? Or jazz over here. Yeah, jazz are good. I'm a big Fuji man. Yeah? Yeah. Brayburn in the UK, which doesn't exist out here. What's that? It's called Brayburn in the UK, which doesn't exist out here. Hey, back on the UK, what are some things you do miss about your homeland? I mean, it's been 10 years now, but what are some things that you miss that we don't quite get here in Australia? Oh, I'm glad the World Cup's on at the moment. Yeah. (laughs) So Everyone's pretending to care about football for a few weeks. Well, I'm glad you called it football. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll show you that respect. Thank you, thank you. Um, You know, I do... uh, I do let people know that they're still attempting to speak English when they say the word soccer. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, definitely the, the, the football, the times when the stuff's on is just doesn't doesn't work. It doesn't match up at all. I'm a big European uh, sport fan. I'm a huge tennis man. Yeah, and yeah it's yeah, middle of the night. Yeah. And like <laughs> hilarious before. So we're, we're shooting this podcast about half an hour after the... Uh, the planned time because uh, Mark, I'd sent him the Google Calendar link. And he's like, he messaged me, we're on for 7 p.m., right? I'm like, nah, 6, mate. And he's like, oh, I've got 7 a.m. in my Google Calendar and he's still running on the UK time. I just saw 7 to 8. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love how he's still running on the UK time. Yeah. Um, do you miss the music scene in the UK? Oh, We've got definitely. a pretty good music scene over here. It's good. It is good. Um, the, the main thing is, though, is uh, that I note as a difference is you get that one bit so you saw the wombats the other day oh f- phenomenal yeah. yeah awesome but what would happen is uh, you go to a little festival and it would be 10 different bands like or they would have you know a couple of different support acts so um, you know when I went to go see the, the Foo Fires back in the day in the UK seven different bands came on Queen's of Stone Age Motorhead like it was awesome it's huge yeah it was uh, so you, you find that it's it's that one band only and you know little support act yeah yeah whereas here you've actually got to go to a music festival if you want to see more than one act yeah yeah and then you know you look at some of the the lineups at you know Glastonbury and Tea in the Park and you know uh, V Festival which was running back in the day and it's you know the the top 12 people there are all headliners oh it's enormous it's crazy yeah um what are some of the best live acts you've seen over in the UK oh, I'd say Monkeys for sure yeah, yeah, we had a good um, talk about that yeah, the other day. So good, so good. Everything from you know, just their stage presence to lighting and obviously the music itself. It, everything was just like you know, but yeah, they, like little euphoria going on. As they just tick all the boxes. Like yeah. that, that was the same with the wombats the other night for me. Mm. Like you know, it was at a music festival back in Ballarat, which is where I spent five years of my life before I came to Mornington, and you know, was with a lot of my best friends that I don't get mm. to see much anymore, and you know, with a lot of other people that. You hadn't seen in a long time and it was golden hour and the Wombats are singing Let's Dance to Joy Division and that mm. part at the end where they say we're so happy, they like yeah. they just repeated that Oof. over and over for about two or three minutes and yeah, it was just nice. like absolute ecstasy, mate. It was phenomenal. Mm. Um, but then I'd love to like see like one of those bands like the Wombats or Arctic Monkeys, not that I have seen them. I'd love to see them over in their, in their homeland in the UK. Like, Is there a band, is there a British band that you've seen both in the UK and Australia and do they put on a better show in their homeland or it's I saw Bastille out in the UK and then I saw him out here as well and I, I saw him at um, the, the corner in um, in Richmond and it was really cool there because it was only like 500 people it was real intimate I, I love the intimate through, vibe yeah through into the crowd and yep. like 
everyone's patting him on the back and you know it was really cool there it was when I saw him in the the, the UK it was um, I mean it wasn't a crazy huge gig it was about 30,000 people but it's it's big enough it's, it's still big yeah it's, you know a lot bigger than 500 people but um, so yeah completely different how it went about from you know massive artistic show um, to a more intimate style and mm. they both had their merits absolutely it was, yeah it's cool seeing the, the, the differences you saw the Foo Fighters the other night? Ah, oh, no, the Foo Fighters, sorry. Uh, Guns N' Roses? Guns N' Roses, yeah. You're just talking about the Foo Fighters. Yeah. Uh, tell us I about that, we'll, we'll talk Geelong show, though. Sorry? I saw the Fooies in the last Geelong show. Yeah, you got pissed on, too. Yeah. Rained a lot. Oh, yeah, forgot my jacket. That was terrible. Um, tell us about Guns N' Roses, because we were talking about this off-camera. You said it was started a bit flat. It was good. Um, I said uh, it wasn't quite flat. Like, it was just the fact that First few bits, you know, it was still light. The atmosphere wasn't quite there. People were still shuffling in, uh, and uh, played a bit of their um, kind of more modern, newer stuff, which definitely people weren't there for. Mm-hmm. And you know, it started off with "Welcome to the Jungle," and then there was like phones out everywhere, yeah, and flashes, recordings, and so on like that. And then when it started playing the next sort of few songs after that, you could tell it dwindled down the atmosphere a bit, and uh, you um. You initially kind of wondered if he still had the voice, but then, you know, he started getting into the old stuff and, yeah, he pulled out all the stops. That's it. You've always got to start with the banger. And, like, Mm. you sort of feel for artists or bands that have produced a lot of new stuff and they want to show that off and play that, but, Mm. you know, they know and everyone knows that a lot of people there are probably there to see old stuff and, like, it would probably be a tough situation to be in. And like, definitely. um, I remember Lincoln Park back in the day, um, they wouldn't play a lot of their old songs, so they sort of reimagined them and started playing them in different ways. So you were still, you knew all the lyrics, you knew the song, but it was like a cool new way of experiencing it. And that's a great spin on it. Whereas, um, what's that band? Uh, Foster the People that sing Pumped Up Kicks, they... I don't know if they still do, but I know a few years ago they flat out stopped playing Pumped mm. Up Kicks because it was just the one song everyone was there everyone for. Knew. So they stopped playing it entirely, yeah. and I don't know whether they've put it back into their rotation or not, but they just cracked yeah. the shits, which I don't think is the right way to go about it. Like, I don't know. I mean, people follow you for a reason, so you mm. can't just go, we're not going to give you what you want. Yeah. Like, you know, they're, they're still turning up and paying money. You don't want people to go, I'm disappointed. Absolutely. So I wouldn't be surprised if, like, don't get me wrong, for some people, they're still a great band, but... Would twenty percent of the people turn up if they knew that that song wasn't going to get played? Have you ever been to see a live act that you were so keen on, keen to see this one song, and they just didn't play it? Um, only through sheer hope of that they were going to. Yeah, play you, it. you knew like, they probably weren't going to play it, but yeah, they, yeah. It definitely wasn't. Either. Yeah, I've definitely it had just, that. Yeah, uh, but yeah, only through like sheer hope of that. It wasn't one of their main songs by any means. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know if you've listened to the Inspired Unemployed podcast, but. Mm. Um, the boys, they went to see uh, Bon Iver yeah. and they wanted to hear him play Skinny Love, which is like the song he's most known for. Didn't play it. You're kidding me. That's stiff. That's, uh, that's, that's refund material. That's, that's refund material. That's yeah. on the same. That's worse than Pumped mm. Up Kicks. Yeah, definitely. Lovely. Uh, any notes you're getting from this uh, Chardonnay, by the way? I mean, quite high acid. High acid? Yeah. yeah. So you've got your cheeks salivating a bit. What, what what does <laughs> so your cheeks like saliva like yeah. going through so you know like you've had like a sour lolly before and so on mm. that's the acid coming through a bit yeah right if you had quite acidic wines that's that's what happens especially with the white wines so that's what tends to happen so would this would sour be a good way to describe this or you go for more like fruity and acidic and yeah it's quite a fruity chardonnay it's definitely a modern style where there's not a lot of oak there um it's um uh more like citrus sort of grapefruit pith coming through like big on the citrus Tell us about your training to develop that palate and like, did it come naturally or, and how did you develop oh, that? And I've did, always been awful at that. Did I've you have really like, a, awful. you know, do you have someone telling you like you're right or you're wrong or do you just... To a certain extent, yeah, you have different grape varieties that are meant to have certain, you know, uh, flavour profiles and so on. Um, and, you know, whether this one's meant to be lychee or this one's meant to be gooseberry and whatever, mm. like you, you kind of taught that. But obviously everyone's palate's different and I've always been terrible at like, um, I know what's good, I know what's not good. and um, uh, But f- I'm, uh, yeah, trying to figure out like specific, that's taken a long time. And what's really interesting is there was in the UK, there was a group of so sommeliers and like professional wine connoisseurs, essentially. And we, we just call them soms because <laughs> you can't 
be asked to pronounce the whole thing. So um, there was a whole group of Soms and master Soms who were put into a wine tasting, complete blind wine tasting. And what someone had done is they had actually put food colouring in a white wine and they all guessed the red. And yeah. it's it's crazy how much different senses uh, influence that. Like, placebo is huge. Huge. Like, and people like shit on placebo, but like, placebo is so, and we can't quite explain it with science, but it's that big that every scientific study has to control for placebo. Mm. Like, it's that big, and we just can't quite. Um, I never used to believe in it until I mean, I must have been what. 20 or so, 21, and I was working at a place where one of the guys he used to get, from the regulars he used to come in, he used to get on it so much that the, the his friends that he was with were worried about him. So what they used to do on one of the days a week was they would order, not let him pay for anything, and they would order from him like non-alcoholic beers, all get it poured into a pint glass, and then he would drink that all night. And did he get pissed? He was hammered. Jesus. And I never, honestly, I, I never believed in it until I saw that. And I was like, this can't be right. Like, seriously. It's know. fascinating because like, people want to shit on placebo, like, w- mm. like whether it's a product or a, a, a drink or a supplement or whatever. And they say, oh, well, it's placebo. It doesn't work or it's mm. an exercise. Mm. But like for me, as long as there's no ill intent of pulling the wool over people's eyes to make money, if mm. placebo is making you better and move better, perform better and happier, then fucking so be it, yeah. I reckon. I mean, Channel 4 in the UK, they did this massive... Hello, Lachlan. Hello, um, Mr. Wallace. Uh, they did this massive um, drug study, uh, and it was... They took all... They, they got uh, the police to hand them over all the drugs from Glastonbury Festival. Oh, Banksy. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, hello, mate. Um, got everything confiscated. They tested everything, but they also got, like... Uh, it was 16 different people to uh, actually test uh, uh, pure ecstasy. And they gave eight of them a placebo and eight of them the real drug. All 16 of them pretty much described their feelings and like euphoric status all in the same way. Wow. And it was it was done live on Channel 4 across four different uh, episodes. And it was nuts and, like, to actually see how different. And they also showed, you know, their brainwaves... Um, and like uh, were their pupils pupils dilated and everything it was all similar for all 16 of them because all 16 of them believe that they've been given the actual drug yep so I'm definitely after seeing a couple of those things he's definitely didn't believe it before but now I already well and truly bought into it but now after hearing that like that's Mm. fascinating probably bought a a few placebos over the years man (laughs) (laughs) right uh, let's knock that one back we're down to our final one Mm-hmm. Uh, eyes closed, please, Mark. So it's another white. Mm-hmm. You're you're one from two. Yeah, fifty percent. Yeah, not great. Radio. We're ready to roll. Cheers to you. Cheers. this thing isn't even recording that's definitely don't do that to me mate every single podcast I record I get halfway through my heart skips a beat like fuck is this thing on but we are on just excuse to drink wine Um, I reckon um, I'm going to blame you for the last one I reckon you threw me when you said it was fruity and sweet (laughs) that's that placebo again mate yeah got in my head psychological aspect but yeah that's that's Savvy B that is correct this is most definitely Savvy B and what makes you say that so pungent on the nose. Pungent? Yeah. For some people a good way, for well, some people like, are not. I'm going to say that. Like breathing just like gently, just like normally. If you do that, mm. it actually like go okay. your nostrils. Yeah, okay. So, yep. Okay, and what, what do you smell on there? Because I've got to say I'm not smelling much, but again, this is my uncultured oh, real, like, nose. Tropical. and uh, real like tropical flavours. So yep. you think about stuff like almost like Mango, pineapple. But again, like that, again, this is my obnoxiousness. That's fruity, isn't it? That's just fruit. Yeah, it's fruit. Yeah. 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 But that's the difference between fruity and sweet. So this is a more sweet wine, you're saying? Still dry wine. There's, yep. There's not a lot of sugar in there. What what are some of the sweeter wines? Um so there's something called like um late harvest wines where they let them ripen more and uh you get loads of different ones that are called like noble noble rot and 
things like that. They, they, they've gotten away from Noble the Noble rot, is that just because it's ripened to the point where it's almost like it is rotting? rotting? Yeah. It is. Um, and it's a horrible name, so they just call it <laughs> Noble Wines now. Yeah, you wouldn't be selling too many Noble Rots, surely. No, no, and they've gotten away from that for marketing purposes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's quite a lot of them. They now call a lot of them Late Harvest, um, which you basically let it go and go and go and go. And you get not a lot of juice from it, but the juice that comes out is super viscous, super sweet, and like real high sugar content. So the more you let it go, the higher and higher the sugar content goes. Um, so, you know, you get even places where they um, they do, it's called ice ice wine or ice wine in different <laughs> places like Austria, Germany yep. and Canada and some different places where they actually have it where they essentially do a similar technique, but it's under extreme temperatures and you get, minuscule amounts per grape like of of juice yeah but, right and i suppose they'd be really expensive too then wouldn't they yeah yeah and but they're very concentrated in flavor um okay yeah but it's um they're, they're pretty delicious to be honest like it's not like you can have a whole glass of them but you know like great with desserts great so, with cheese so they're not smashable as you'd say definitely not smashable yeah yeah um so are there non-alcoholic wines? Like, what does the addition of alcohol to the wine do to the flavour? And like, oh, a couple of things. I mean, the the most difficult thing is you can make non-alcoholic wines. There's a couple of different. I mean, there's multiple different companies now, but uh, the companies who do it well, what what they've done, and not even just the wines, like the spirits. There's a few really good companies where they actually employ those like master sommeliers who are incredible. They can just, you know, they're like a bloodhound. They can detect everything, and they, you know, they will taste and smell certain different wines and they will know the breakdown and they will essentially get um, non-alcoholic versions of that, blend it together until they're happy with essentially a recipe that they've made. Uh, So non-alcoholic wines, um, quite a lot of it's made obviously from veggies instead, um, other fruits and vegetables. Such as? Sometimes, I mean, everything, like literally everything, parsnips, apples. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, lots of different fruits and veggies. Mm. Put some spices in there as well. You know, some might have like fennel seeds go through it, and it's it, crazy. Is there an argument that that's not even wine? Like, technically, it isn't. Yeah. Technically, it isn't because you know it's not gone through a fermentation it, process and all yeah. this kind of is stuff. Is that a belief it's, you hold? Like that's not wine. That's just to me. It's like just you know juice. Yes, yeah, sell it how you sell it. It's technically. Yeah. I mean, what they've done is they've made uh, a non-alcoholic product into a wine style. That's what yeah. they're doing, which makes sense. So it goes the same with the spirits. You know, there's loads of non-alcoholic gins, um, but having the alcohol, so you can you can go both ways. You can actually mm. technically make a gin, and you can actually use a it's called a centrifuge to take all the alcohol out of it uh, and the ethanol out of it. But what that does is it strips the so going back to that kind of um, water to milk kind of um, like kind of mouthfeel. Continuum, yeah. yeah. It's a uh, it will make it thinner, um, so it's um, you lose some of that effect from it, and it does take away from some of the flavors. So people are getting quite creative. Of, well, how do we still make it a gin? How do we still make it this and that and so on? And it's normally quite easy, or n- not easy, but it's easier for the dark spirits because you know it's a lot sugar based. You know, uh, rum sugar based and uh, there's lots of sugar in say bourbon uh, mm. corn based and so on so you can substitute a lot of that with sugar and non-alcoholic um, flavors i like the way you said you can market it however you want it's like the um it's like the impossible like the fake the fake meat like, that's not meat but yeah. they market it as meat hey yeah like, you market it as whatever you want you can yeah. do yeah i do find it very odd that's you know um that's probably one of the ones that I do put my foot down on. Oh, um, I find it odd, mate. Don't get me started. I could do a whole podcast on that, but we might. <laughs> I just <laughs> we might don't move. understand. You know, the idea is to. I understand completely different people's beliefs and mm. so on. You know, if if you don't want to eat animals for the fact of harming animals and so on, completely mm. up to you. Genuinely, completely up to you. But um, then why would you eat? a version yeah. of something that is still what, imitating yeah, that. Yeah, why, why are you craving that? It's like your body trying to tell you something now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. But, you know, I understand um, it's quite funny. Like, um, you know, I know a couple of vegans who wear leather jackets. Yeah. <laughs> they won't eat meat, but they wear leather jackets. Um, but, um, like, I, I don't care. Like, each their own, you know, you're not harming anyone. Go nuts. Yeah. But, um, that's one market that I, I find fascinating. Like they mm. do oh, especially, well. I suppose especially in your industry too, like you'd 
and you'd cop a lot with, you know, people's beliefs. Yeah. And, and requirements, hey? Well, it's crazy. Over the last, you know, 10 years, it's been incredibly interesting that it, it used to be allergies. Mm. You know, it used to be, you, you come to my restaurant, you tell me, hey, I can't eat this because I'm going to die. Is there a way that you can make me not die? We're like, sure, of course, absolutely. Yeah. Or we'll tell you, no, we can't. But now people are on, you know, hey, I'm on this kind of diet. Yeah, or, I'm hey, I, I'm not eating this at the moment. Yeah. Uh, can I, even weird ones, like one of the, the, the favourites is, can I get a prawn pizza without the prawns? So, <laughs> yeah. It's, um, and I suppose like... Back a decade ago, you could just tell them that you know, and actually say get fucked, but you can just say no. But like, whereas today in the age of social media and Google reviews, where they're also very important to the success of your business, like yeah. you almost like got to just bend you over backwards for some there's people. Quite yeah, a few places that are now started putting their foot down, saying they're not going to cater mm. for any dietaries, and what they mean by that is they'll still cater for allergies. Yeah, they won't like they'll have gluten free options and yeah, absolutely. whatever. And they'll like still cater for a yeah. celiac and they'll yeah. look after those people, but they won't go like, hey, I'm not into this today. Can yeah. you alter this? Can for you me? pick the tomatoes off? Or how about you just order something different? Yeah. But I call it the handbrake. Um, you know, you have someone who has a certain preference and so on, they're most likely to go pick the venue because the people who don't mm. have preferences will. They can go wherever, yeah. So you get the person with a preference and don't get me wrong, absolutely cater for allergies. You know, you have to in this day and age. And, oh, yeah. You know, it's not just a, a business thing, it's a moral thing. Oh, you it, know. it's borderline a form of discrimination. It is, yeah, yeah absolutely. No, you should absolutely be able to cater for people, but then you do get the borderline ridiculous with the, yeah. <laughs> I can't eat this today or I can't eat this shade of, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, and... The I call it the handbrake. Uh, if you do not cater for that person, then them and their four other friends aren't coming. They're out, yeah. So if you don't do that, you haven't just lost that one person. You've lost potentially, you know, a couple, a group, whatever it may yeah. be. And any of their referrals, if they have a great time at your restaurant or whatever, and then they tell their mate. Mm. Um, but I, I guess you're right. The biggest like- I ever had was um, I did a full function back in the UK, and it was. Uh, what, 150 people? And we have 53 dietaries, which is, you know... That's a third of the... Yeah, it is. Jesus. And reading up on the study at the time, that was a, that was a little while ago, only at that time, 4 to 6% of people across the planet had allergies, but it was up to 30% believed that they had an allergy. So there it this is. is. This is a probably a bit of an outdated study now, you know, it was 10 years ago. But it was interesting to see those kind of facts and then... You actually seeing that in real in life. In real life, yeah. And that, and back swinging back to placebo, there's also mm. nocebo, which is you know, yeah, placebo, you have the sugar pill, but someone tells you it's going to give you superpowers and you get superpowers. Yeah. The opposite, nocebo, yeah. you, the sugar pill, someone tells you it's yeah, going right. to kill you and then you start actually feeling sick and like you're going to yeah. die. They um, they did a study and I can't give you a PMID or a year or anything, but on people with celiac disease, mm. they gave half of them you know, actual gluten, and they gave another half of them these muffins that they told them they had gluten, but they didn't actually, and I think all of them had a um, reaction to it. Yeah, right. So, yeah, the opposite is true on that placebo thing. Yeah. Um, UK HOSPO, you were just talking about before, comparison to Oz HOSPO, we chatted about there's no RSA. Are there any other glaring dis- differences in um, the scenes? Um, the, I mean, RSA was different, you know, the uh, one one of the places I ran, <laughs> we used to have MMA fighters as a security team. Um, You'd feel safe. You'd feel incredibly <laughs> well, safe. There. It was just lots more fights. Imagine if you had a lot more fights. A lot yeah. more fights. Wow, I, I'd imagine the opposite. Oh no, I came out here and I started like I was out here traveling around and you know. What do you mean you can't get obliterated and everyone's getting cut off? And oh, so on. okay. Then, so you didn't have actual MMA fighters. No, like, my security team in the UK was. Were? Yeah, yeah fuck, right. And the, that's the just, so fights. there's more fights in the UK. Oh, crazy amount yeah. more. When I've then started working in HOSPO, I was like, guys, there's no fights. Yeah. Like, I feel safe. Is, so do you know of a reason why there's more fights over there? people would just get absolutely hammered. And that's you reckon that's associated with the no RSA thing? Yeah, 100%. Yep. So yeah, wow. think, think about it this way. I mean, probably, you know, you know, one of two people who have uh, been completely 
obliterated before oh, yeah. and someone's accidentally bumped into them mm. versus if you were on the level on but the you're edge. all right. Yeah. You're like, Sorry, mate. I'm yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Vastly different reactions. Yeah, of course. And like, I've got like two my two best mates are over in the UK at the moment, mm. and like, it's left fascinating. You. Like, you can go and what was that? They left you. Yeah, <laughs> all alone. <laughs> they um, you can go to a park and just drink and walk yeah. down the street with a can, and it's, it's no worries. Yeah, my, my, literally, I went back in July. My first first night out was just a night out with with my my younger brother. And it literally ended up as that. It literally ended up as drinks in the park first. Um, someone trying to punch on later. Yeah. Like, and it was like, oh, I'm back in London. I'm home. Home sweet <laughs> yeah. home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Other differences. Yeah. Um, not a crazy amount, to be honest. Uh, a few different things, like you've got the hat system over here to rate restaurants where it's, you know, kind of rosettes or Michelin stars in the UK. What's the hat um, system? Because that's, uh, that's new to me. Oh, so well. different people get rated whether it's one, two, three hat restaurants. Um, yeah, okay. So Peninsula, in, it, the, the awards just came out this year. Um, had Montalto go. Very good. Um, <laughs> they, we we always strive to be a one hat restaurant in the restaurant part. Um, and then we, we uh, retain that this year, which is good. Cool. And the Peninsula did really well this year. Really, really well. Is there a reason why it's such, like, geographically or climate or whatever, that it's such a wine region down this way? It will be from the, the literally the, the climate. Yeah. There's, there's a place in France called uh, Burgundy, and they grow Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. They've been doing it for donkey's years, mm. you know, and it works really well over there. And obviously Australia isn't that old a country. But what they did is they looked at the different climates of what works well for wine around the world and the old, yeah. so, you know, France, Italy, Spain and so on. And uh, they looked at over here all these different geographical spots and they were like, let's plant this, let's plant this. It works well in that climate. But what Australia's done incredibly well is, one, they've got every climate of the planet in one country. But two, they've got some climates that in other places city, don't have. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... Shiraz is over in... Oh, I better finish this. Oh. My jam coming out. Um, they got some uh, really big desert weather. You know, you think Barossa, McLaren Vale and like so Like just on. hot and dry. Yeah, yep. really arid kind of weather. And, there's, you know, there's a few wine-producing countries that have that, but probably not as harsh a climates as where we are. Mm. And... So you think about uh, like uh, the Shirazis over here, they're literally so full on and punchy and bold. Um, you know, they're going into 16% wine territory, which is huge uh, for yep. a wine. And um, so, what does that like 16% alcohol? Yeah. Yeah. Is, is that not just a, you know, a decision by whoever's making the wine or? No, it depends. On, I mean, if you look at the back of that one, that's probably what, 13, 13 and a half. Like, so this Montalto Pinot, yeah. it's a, oh, that's your one, mate. <laughs> Where does it say? I can't find it. Yeah, there you go. Yep, 13. And oh. a half. Um, And so then that's not a decision by the winemaker? Um, you technically can make it bolder and so on. You can punch it up a little bit. Yeah. But from then putting more alcohol, then you're sacrificing. Yeah, different different elements, mm. flavors, and so on. Um, yeah, mouthfeels and so on. Um, but the uh, the peninsula, what's you know, it works with predominantly the same grapes as Chardonnay and Pinot. Well, other obviously other stuff's grown here, and it's great to find new different things. There's Queely Winery who put Pinot Gris um, or Grigio uh, on on the map down this end. And they they do a beautiful, beautiful version of that, and they were pretty much the, the starting of that element down here. But they were showing that you can produce other things down here as well, which was good. And it's great to see other people producing lots of different styles. Um, not always they're going to be the best sellers or they're going to be the most profitable, but it's nice to have variety. Well, are some other wineries on the peninsula that are doing really, really good things that you want to give a shout-out to? Uh, definitely, I mean, Yabby Lake... Um, yeah, because that's one I've actually never heard of. 
Yeah. yeah, only around the corner. So, wow. you know, take you about 15 minutes from here to get to them. But yep. Yabby Lake, really, really good. Um, their, their single vineyard Pinot, like their top-of-the-range Pinot, just phenomenal. Um, Paringa, literally do not make a bad wine. Major sponsor of the Red Hill Football Club, shout out. Yeah, there you go. Yep. I was paid to say that. Yeah. No, <laughs> um, uh, don't make a bad wine. Like, they're genuinely, they are about the quality. But it's also not, you know, you got the top of range stuff. Mm. Even their sort of drink now stuff, as I say, I don't like to say like entry level because he's not entry level. Like Goon's entry level. <laughs> uh, they're kind of like drink now stuff. Like mm. the stuff that you don't age, you just want to have now. Yep. Amazing. Doesn't break the bank. Um, genuinely really good. Ten and, and, and that's just their niche and they're just really, really good at the, the drink now really stuff. They're really good at the top quality stuff as well. Yep. Like that's definitely their niche up there. Mm. But what they do with they they don't they still don't compromise on quality with the the drink now stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um and then ten minutes is probably the other one that I would shout out to. Ten yeah. minutes. Yeah. Ten hey, minutes. That's by not tractor. Heard of. There you go. So ten minutes by tractor, they're really, really good. Um great great restaurants in Peringa and ten minutes. Um they they did great. They both got two hats this year. So nice. some phenomenal Very thing. Very nice. What's one gotta to do to get a hat? Like, who who is food. the judge of who gets hats and like who? Oh, yeah. there's multiple different people. Who's the there? governing body of hats? So there's multiple different people who go around and, you know, there's different food writers and so on who all go around to different places. And it's a continuous job and they have a review season and they go during those periods and literally go to different restaurants. And you have one, you know, one uh, outing with them. So... Quite a few of them are known now, but some of them are still unknown or they've mm. come on a day where you haven't caught them or whatever it may be. Oh, so they can just rock up. Yeah. So yeah, wow. always have booking. Normally come as a couple, like there's two of them that turn up, um, like whether it's one and a friend or whatever it may be. But um, they essentially review everything from, you know, the aesthetics of the place, the uh, the staffing level. Yeah, I suppose like the white staff and everything. Yeah, like, yeah wow. the service has gone, yeah. the cutleries, like was things the cleanliness of the building mm. to absolutely every aspect of their outing. So, not, yep. so it's not just food and wine that they turn up and look at. Can you pick them out? Like, can you you pick two people out and you say, yep, they're, fuck, they're coming to Sometimes, test us out. I mean, yeah. they don't sit there and ask questions. Yeah, so, they're you know, uh, incognito. They're, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But certain people are... They've been doing it a long time, mm. so you know you know that they're just on like the review. the way they carry themselves and well, not just that, like you know their faces from being on the okay. review yep. panel, yep. Like, and yep. that's yep. it. So certain people, you go, oh, that's John, mm. like, yep. and you know, and and, um, and is that on the same level as a Michelin star, or is a Michelin star a bit more prestigious, pre- prestigious than getting prestigious. a hat? It's technically more prestigious. So Michelin star is from back in the day, the Michelin tires. Yeah, and it was so it's really, the same company. Yeah, really Stop great, it. great marketing. What they did is they started a guide of good restaurants to go to to try and make people drive more, which wears down your tires, which what? makes you want new tires, which is incredible. Great, that marketing. is mind blowing. I know how clever are those people. So it started off like that, but then it became a we want a Michelin star. We want people to drive to us. Yeah. So it just got better and better and better over the years and it's incredible the standards now um it used to be about for for a little period about how fancy everything was Mm. because they rate you on literally absolutely everything like literally everything from what glassware you have to what color you have to everything and but it's interesting now over the last few years to see who else has got michelin stars and they're scaling it back a little bit more to not be, well, it's only the most expensive restaurants who can So get it's it. easier to get a Michelin star these days then? I would then. say it's easier. Okay. Um, I would say it's slightly different parameters. Yeah. So uh, there's a few food trucks who has even got, you know... That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yep. And there was this... Um, I think she was in her 70s or 80s, this... Um, Vietnamese lady who got a Michelin star and she's literally just been cooking the same stuff for donkey's years from house family recipes for years and years and years and it's incredible to see the fact that she's been given that and grafted that and received that from all of her hard work for all the years but for something that she does literally out of pretty much this tiny you know this this tiny outfit 
That's and madness. it's literally takeaway food. Like it's, uh, but it's amazing how different it, you know it's. It's kind of the parameters have changed rather than being who's the fanciest, Mate. which it did get that way for a while. To now, who's what's good? It must be what are people like? It must be hectic takeaway food. Imagine getting that after a night out. And oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, on that, why does everyone in the UK get a curry after a night out? We don't. We get a kebab. Yeah, we get a curry during the night out. During the night out, what's What's that all about? Why wouldn't you? You have no idea how happy I was when I went to the UK and got a curry. Like, um, they literally had everything on the set menu that I loved. Yep. Uh, big bottle of 660ml Cobra Indian beer to go with it. And they just knew Mate. my language straight away. But um, the curries out here is so different. Like, your butter chicken is more uh, is, is a lot more similar to a chicken tikka masala in the UK. Like, your chicken is that tikka... Like- Mild or oh, well, your chicken tikka over here. There's no capsicum in yep. a chicken tikka. Like literally, it was invented in Scotland. It was by you know we have a big Indian um, mm. and Pakistani population in the UK. And the curry is mind blowing. You know, you've um, got a huge repertoire of cultures in the UK, and that's evident of our food. And thank God, because otherwise it would be so bland. That's so but you're saying like the the curries are not as spicy here, or they're like no, weaker, just, or it's just, just different, different. Okay. really different. So there's a uh, so chicken tikka masala, for instance, was invented in Scotland. It was literally a guy who had chicken tikka pieces come out, and he asked for have you got like a tomato onion sauce you can put with this. Guy knocked something up. Next week, more people, more people, more people. Like, and then it became like literally a. a a dish all over the UK that's absolutely it, treasured. It's nuts. So you said it originated in Scotland, correct? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's nuts because like, I think most, myself and I reckon most people with me, like, they think it originated in India and it's like exactly. a, it's a very typical Indian cuisine. I, I mean, it was an Indian family who came up with it, an Indian okay. man, yep. um, but he was in Scotland and that's where it all came from. And it's, that's nuts. You, you've dropped some bombs on this episode and I reckon that might yeah. be the biggest of them all. <laughs> Actually, the Michelin tyre one was pretty fucked. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, what's next in the life of Mark Coffer, in the life of Montalto and you, and where, where does the next 10 years take you? Oh, 10 what, years is a long time. Well, actually, yeah, that is a long time. <laughs> Shit. That's a very I don't long know time. where the next 12 months takes me. Uh, yeah, what do you hope the future holds for you? The last little bit. Um, well, get through summer for one. Yes. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Going to be a hectic summer. summer. It'll be a hectic summer. It'll be a good summer. Like, yep. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You know, we've um, got some really good people there. Really, really good people. Uh, but uh, it's also going to be nice, the fact that we're not... Like last summer, what took away from it all was, um, yes, we had to deal with all the parameters of COVID mm. and so on, but you turn up, you got you for your function and so on. I've got to check in everyone one by one and so yeah, on. Yeah, shit. It's, it, you know, but we're starting off everything this time. Everything is on positive. Yeah, and it's like actually wasn't that long ago, hey, that we were... <laughs> Scanning the QR code and checking in and wearing masks, but once you sat down, you can take it off. And like like Uncle Brian or Auntie Mary doesn't have a smartphone, yeah, go through all them. Like, why can't they come into our wedding? Yeah, it was was hectic. And like COVID vaccination certificates, yeah, you know, to the point where people were actually going like, oh, they've forgotten their phone and someone's on Photoshop. Like, Mm. it was ridiculous. And like, because I was one that I didn't have my certificate linked with my checking up so I'll, mm. I would always take a couple of minutes when I'm booking into places and I'm thinking fuck like they must hate me and they're probably getting 50 people just like me every we single did. day yeah we did mm. I um it was the people who got super aggressive about it as well I I really respect your industry and what you do Mark because I worked at KFC Hamilton for a few years oh, and yeah. that was a fucking nightmare mate oh, so yeah, I I bet I um how yeah I, I, I really hey how do you go at cooking chicken now uh, not good. Not, not good. No, no. Nah, nah. <laughs> so, uh, no tips and tricks you picked up? I got nothing. I don't know the 11 secret herbs and spices, so yeah. I um, didn't pick up a whole lot from that job. Mm. Other Still than know it was 11, though. Other than a little bit of uh, pocket money to piss up. Yeah. Um, anything else for the viewers? Anything, yeah, what do you want the Virtus community to learn, to know? Anything you want to pass on? I reckon they can teach me a lot more than yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything you want to pass on to the listeners before we wrap up? Um... I would say have a good Christmas. Just enjoy it. Yeah, what are you doing for your Christmas? Uh, we do a little orphanage every year um, because I'm out from the UK. Family isn't out yeah. here. Uh, so we've got a few of us. My best mate moved out here about five years ago. So we always do a little 
what we call an orphanage Christmas dinner. Yeah, that always works out pretty well. That's epic, man. Where's that at? Uh, it's in Williams Landing, which is past Point Cook. Nice. So we're doing that this year. It's his his turn to host. Beautiful, mate. Enjoy your orphanage Thank Christmas, you. mate. And yourself? Uh, back home to Hamilton. Yep. yep. See the fan. It's not to KFC. Not to KFC. Won't be going anywhere near that joint. It'll be the second time I've been home to Hamilton since last Christmas. Yeah. So yeah, don't get down there that much. So I'll um I'll enjoy that time off very okay. much. So yeah. Lovely, mate. Thanks so much for your time. Cheers. Absolute pleasure. Let's finish this uh, Montalto Pinot. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's smashing it. And I'll see you tomorrow at Montalto for our staff Christmas party. I'll be yeah, able to looking forward to it. I'll be able to tell them all about all the stuff I've learned. I'll be able to give them give them an education. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to tell them they can't they can't do the wine tasting. You're going to run it. Yeah, I'll run the wine tasting. Yeah, beautiful, mate. Thanks so much.